teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then who, those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not come, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Lord Jesus, this morning we, we ask that you would give us a, a sense of your presence that supersedes, that goes beyond what we came to church expecting. Now, Lord, you would speak to us in the midst of all of our firmly held beliefs and our ideologies. Lord, that you would speak to us right here and right now. Lord, that you would awaken us to the reality of you, that you would supernaturally uh, allow us to hear your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, I want to quickly just tell you about THX. THX is our Thanksgiving event where we take a fully cooked uh, Thanksgiving meal, uh, some gifts, and uh, some joy uh, to, some, uh, to lots of families in our city. Our, our, our hope this year is that we're able to feed uh, 400 families. That represents uh, probably about 2,000 people. Uh, maybe more, um, something like that. There's at least five people per family oftentimes. And so uh, in any case, uh, we're hoping to feed that many people. We are working right now on uh, the cost per meal. Uh, as you might know, if you have uh, four children like I do, that the, uh, the cost of goods has gone up uh, tremendously. And so we have uh, uh, incurred that cost in THX as well. And so on Thanksgiving morning, our plan is to go uh, from here and we're going to go serve throughout the neighborhood. Um, we go and, and deliver meals to each one of these families uh, throughout our city. It's an awesome event. I don't want you to miss it. It is uh, so fun. Um, but we do got to raise uh, probably 50% more money than what we would have. Or we have to reduce the number of families that we are um, going to be serving and so normally we try to get this done uh, earlier so that we have an exact cost for you like we're trying to rate we typically trying to raise about $35,000 uh, this year it could be as high as $60,000 we're trying to find ways to reduce that cost but I want to show you a video here real quick um, of a past year I can't remember which year it is but this will give you an idea of what it, what it's like Thanksgiving dinner Christmas trees, 
gifts, the whole deal. It's so rewarding. It's a big community. It's a lot of fun. THX is a way for us to give back to the community. I think it's just little things that can make a big difference. Pretty much the entire year I've been looking forward to being part of this event. Thank you for letting me be part of this. It's been a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. So we're, yeah, let's, let's clap for that. Yeah, we're excited about it. And uh, we're not doing trees this year. Again, the cost of trees is so high. And as I said uh, last year, there's a lot of you that are driving Priuses now. I don't know why you're doing that. I, all I own are Chevy trucks, but um, there's probably a good reason why you're driving that. But um, like if you're driving to Portland all the time, that'd be a good reason, I suppose. But in any case, so we, we can't fit trees in those cars and it went so much smoother uh, this last year when we eliminated that uh, in, in order so that people could stay in their car with their family and not have to get out and be a part of a larger group, obviously with all the COVID concerns and all that stuff. So. Uh, that's what we've done. In any case, the way that you can give, you can go to THXSalem.com and uh, you can give towards that. Really need you to step up. Really need you to give. Also need you to continue giving to the general fund because it doesn't help us much. if People just take their regular giving from the general fund and then give that to THX because of uh, some obvious concerns. And so would love for you to give above and beyond to THX. That would be a huge help and uh, it's gonna be a blast. And then show up on Thanksgiving morning at 9 a.m. And then there will also be some teams that are putting together gifts, wrapping, stuff like that. And we'll tell you more about that in the days to come. Uh, uh, as we said earlier, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Uh, we had started a series in Luke uh, some time ago. I can't even remember when. I think we've uh, interrupted it twice, uh, in part for COVID, and then also because we started a church in Silverton, which is going quite well. Uh, we wanted to start a new series as we kicked off that uh, church, uh, but now we're jumping back into Luke, and we're kind of rebranding this, if you will, uh, Real Jesus. And what we want to get to is we want to get to who is Jesus and what is he like. Uh, a lot of times we look at the scripture and we see uh, who am I and what am I like and here's my problem. Oh, and Jesus died on the cross for that But what we want to do is we want to see the face of Jesus. We want to see who he is We, we want to understand what he's what he's done and we want to respond as a result So part of the idea behind this is that w when you see Jesus when you come into contact with him when you experience him in the scriptures in the Gospels what you find is that there's something about Jesus that maybe you hadn't seen before, that maybe you hadn't experienced before. So this is what I struggle with as a pastor when I walk through passages like this because I, I know the stories. I grew up in the church. Many of you did not, but I grew up in the church and I hear these stories and I've seen them and there's a standard way to look at them. It's like, listen, uh, you're not giving enough. Uh, you're not uh, generous enough with your funds. Jesus wants you to be more generous. You can't do it. Jesus can. That's the end of the story. But what we don't see oftentimes, what I, what I wasn't taught to do was to actually look at Jesus, to actually see him in all of his glory and how he is different than everyone else. Like we have, um, there's some things about Jesus that we, I, I don't think that we really believe uh, some things that, that he actually is. In, in reality, that was a terrible way of saying that, but, <laughs> but 
uh, Jesus thinks differently about things than you do. A lot of times we can, we can say, this is the way that I think because these are my beliefs. This is my political viewpoint, and Jesus would agree with me. And so we stamp a, a, a Jesus stamp on there, and we say, okay, see, that, that affirms what I believe. But you might be challenged by that. In this, in this time, in this season, in this, this place, in this era, it has been incredibly difficult to pastor. It's been incredibly di difficult to preach. Now, I've, I've enjoyed it because I love problem solving. Uh, I, I enjoy that aspect. What has been difficult is, is to understand where are we at today as a people group, as a church, as a community, as a society, as a country, as, as our world. Where are we at today, and what does this mean for us? What, what does this look like? Like, it's been so incredibly difficult. It's, and I, I have friends that are, many friends that are pastors, and many of them have experienced uh, hateful comments. Many of them have experienced people leaving their churches. Many of them have experienced people who are angry at their viewpoints, at, at, at the viewpoint, many times, of just the scriptures. Uh, the people have been angry because... The pastor didn't agree with their political viewpoint, and so therefore they're going to leave. They're, they're not going to be a part of this, of this thing anymore. It's been incredibly, incredibly difficult because of the polarization of our society as it grows further and further and further apart. I was in the Nike store the other day with my wife. And we're walking through. I love to shop, and so uh, I'm <laughs> walking through. Uh, with my wife. I love being with my wife. That's what I love doing. So we were walking through the Nike store. We had, we had to go to Bend because my uh, oldest son had a football game. So we went to the Nike store there. And uh, so we're walking through there. And I'm, we had been listening to some sermons and some books on the way over there. And uh, I'm walking down this aisle and I see on the wall a t-shirt. That's a boy's size t-shirt um, or unisex probably at this point. Uh, but it's a, it's a boy's t-shirt that says, uh, I am the answer. I am the answer. And it just struck me because I was like, dude, this is where our world has gone. That we are so unconcerned with humility and pride. We're so unconcerned about uh, what, how our kids are going to grow up and how they're going to view life and all of this stuff that we're willing to give a child a t-shirt that says, I am the answer. Think about that. Think about the pressure that goes on a child for, for you to say to them, you are the answer. You don't need anything else but you to answer, to solve, to figure out what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with life and what's, what's, what's happening here. And it's so confusing because of this. How many people are going to buy that t-shirt? How many people? I mean, is it thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are going to buy that t-shirt? It's made by Nike. It's being sold everywhere. How many people are going to buy that t-shirt? And so what happens if you run into some other kid that has the same t-shirt on? I'm the answer. No, I'm the answer. No, I'm the answer. No, I'm the answer. Seriously. 200,000, let's, let's just put a number on it, 200,000 people bought that t-shirt and there are 200,000 answers? But that t-shirt isn't just 
representing one side of the equation. It is representing all of us. They don't put stuff on t-shirts that is not representative of society. They put things on t-shirts that society says, yeah. You know what? They're right. They are right. I am the answer to all of life's problems. So guess what's happening today? Our problem is, is that we are the answer. And guess what? Jesus disagrees with you. And so, let me just tell you something before I start this. I might offend you today egregiously. You can send me emails if you want that are angry. I probably won't respond. You can try to walk out, and I respect your right to do so. I want to ask you to hear me out. I want to ask you to hear me out. I might make a mistake, and I might have to apologize for that. I'm not perfect, because guess what? I'm not the answer. Jesus is. So I'm going to try today to navigate something that I think is going to be relatively controversial. And hopefully you're going to hear me, and you're going to walk through it with me and see, maybe Jesus doesn't always agree with me. Maybe Jesus doesn't neatly fit into my political categories. Maybe Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't vote this particular way. Maybe Jesus is something different altogether. Look at the passage with me, and I want to show you three things. First of all, I want to show you the problem of Jesus. Secondly, I want to show you the invitation of Jesus. My son was calling me. Sorry about that. Forgot to mute my phone. I think he did that on accident. He's playing drums right now out in Silverton. So, First of all, <laughs> I want to talk to you about the problem of Jesus. That he doesn't fit into your categories of what you think is wrong and right. That's, the, that's, that's the seeing the real Jesus. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the invitation of Jesus. And thirdly, I want to talk to you about the solution of Jesus. The problem, the invitation, and the solution is what I want to talk to you about. Look at the first verse here. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Got to stop there. So this person is a ruler. You could say he might be a ruler, a religious ruler, meaning that he was a part of the Pharisees, the religious uh, center of power in that day in Israel. Uh, but he probably isn't because he's a young man and uh, it, it doesn't say anything else. So he's probably not religious, but he's probably somebody of high standing. Might have come from a wealthy family, something like that, not sure. But he, one thing is clear, and that he is a person with power. He possesses power because he's a ruler. So his wealth is speaking to the fact that he has power. He's a person with power, and he's asking a similar question that all of us are asking. And it's, it's essentially this. He's, he's saying in his culture, in his time, he's saying... I want to know how to get to the good life. He calls it eternal life. But he's saying, I, I want to know how to get to the good life. In a secular way, we would say, 
how do I get to utopia? How do I get to where everything is right and everything is good and everything is finally amazing? Every, everything works out well. That's who is speaking here. It's somebody who is a ruler and he's saying, what do I have to do to get to the good life? Now, what Jesus responds with is he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, what's happening here is that you have somebody who has power. They're asking uh, this foundational question of how do I get where, to a, a place where life is good, life is perfect, life is fine? How do I get to this place where like, all of my ideologies will be fit into this one uh, scheme of life? How do I get to that place where everything will finally be good? Now, there's, there's some answers to that in our culture today. The answers to that today are, are wide-ranging. As I said, we have at least 200,000 people that have bought a t-shirt that says, I am the answer. And they have come up with the solution of what is the definition of the perfect life? What is the definition of utopia? What is the definition of that? Now, our framers, the framers of the Constitution, the people that began our nation, had an ideology. And the ideology was based in religion. And that religion was the foundational element of all of us having unalienable rights that are endowed to us by our creator. And so therefore, you, they build off of that. Now, what they had right was this, that you cannot have a bunch of people with different ideologies because of this. Because the people in power will always take advantage of the people who do not have power. That's what was happening in England. That's what was happening in other nations. And so they write this constitution and they say that and they say, this is the way that it should be. This is, this is what should happen. Many people today, however, look back on the foundation of our, of our nation and they look at that religious context and they say, the problem is this, is that religion is in our society. Religion is in our society, and religion is the force behind all power. It is the force behind all things that are wrong with our world today, and they call this critical theory. They call it critical theory, and, they, and so they, when they look back over history, they would say, like, critical theory is the history of people in power oppressing people without power. And they say the way to get over that is to remove Religion. The way to, uh, to get around that is to get rid of religion. Now, this has caused a massive, massive concern, especially in our schools today. As people say, I, I don't want critical theory or critical race theory being taught in our schools. And there's other people who vehemently want that taught. What I want to say to you this morning is this. Is both the push toward critical race theory and the, uh, or critical theory and the, the push away from it are both centered in this. I am 
the answer. I have the answer. If we could just understand something, and that is that uh, the people in power have always oppressed the people that do not have power, and we just need to get rid of religion, we need to get rid of all these things, and we need to sit in the reality of that people have been sinned against, then everything would be just right. I am the answer. And you see that through various things. I, my, my daughter has a teacher that... Uh, a couple of times throughout the year here has read something called a land acknowledgement. And the land acknowledgement is essentially acknowledging that at one point Indians were in this area and that uh, white Americans came in and took that land from them. And then you have other people that, that talk about, you know, it's not just the, the Indians, but it's, but it's race and it's all, of, it's all of those things. But I think all of us can look at those situations, whether it's well, Indian Americans, or it's uh, or American Indians, I should say, or whether it's um, Black Africans. I mean, is is anybody in this room going? You know what? Uh, I don't care about people so much that that I that I would be just fine if someone came in and just took property from someone. I would be just fine if a whole group of people, a whole uh, tribe was just eliminated. Is anybody sitting here saying, like, I'm okay with just murder and stealing and racism? Is anybody able to sit and watch one of the many great movies that have been uh, shown to us telling us about uh, slavery in the South and racism at various parts in, in our country. Is anybody looking at real specific murders, lynchings? Is anyone looking at that and saying, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm not. So there's some kind of sentiment of truth in this idea of, of critical theory which is why it makes it so attractive to so many people today. Because that group of people, the people that are supporting that, which, is, which may be a majority in our, in our, our state, I don't know. I've, I haven't looked at that. I can only guess. But that, that group of people is saying, I want us to acknowledge the sins that we have committed. And specifically white people. I want us to acknowledge this. I don't want to do that with religion. But I want us to acknowledge this. Here's the problem. There is no foundational basis that you can come up with to say that should or shouldn't happen. There's, who are we, we repenting to? Where, where's the standard of righteousness? Who's to say that things shouldn't be stolen? Or that people shouldn't be murdered? Who's, who's to say it? There's no, there's no basis to even make that judgment because religion has been removed. It's not freedom of religion. It's freedom from religion. And so, therefore, it's totally gutted anything about that idea that makes any sense. And everybody is saying, I am the answer. And so there's no basis to, be, to, to even be able to make that assumption. But there's a sentiment of truth there that I think Jesus would agree with. 
Because this passage is, yes, it is about possessions. This passage is about somebody who is rich and powerful. Yes, it, it is about that. But it's also about the, the, the way out of oppression. It's about the way out of how to create an actual society that will become perfect, that will become utopia. It's, it's about how to get to the good life, but it includes the idea of religion. I know I'm heavy on one side of the equation here, and I'm, I'm doing that intentionally because I do want to challenge the majority of the beliefs in this room. So he says, why do you call me good? So the guy says, I want you to tell me, good teacher, uh, what I can do. What are the good things that I can do in order to make myself come to this place where I receive eternal life? By, by my own moral standard, what, what standard do I need to follow in order to get to that? And Jesus, instead of answering that question, he says, why do you call me good? Instead of responding to, this is what you, this is what you need to do, and instead of answering his question, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, I want you to look at Jesus here for a second. Look at the face of Jesus. And understand everything that we've been taught out of the book of Galatians, which is there is no one anywhere who can do anything good in order to merit salvation. The guy is patently wrong about his understanding of religion and Jesus. He's completely wrong. And Jesus comes to him and responds with, why do you call me good? I want you to see the face of Jesus when Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I, I imagine Jesus smiling when he says this. I imagine Jesus being kind as he answers this. Instead of saying, dude, the whole premise of your question is wrong. You're, you're, you have it all wrong. He confronts something else, which is, where do you get your idea of what is good and what is bad? And he's essentially saying, if I am good, then I must be God. Jesus is basically saying, you can't be good enough. But the ruler misses that point. And so, look at verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You, Jesus says, okay, if you want to be judged by the law as to what is right and wrong then what you need to do is that you need to come to a point where you are actually seeing where, where your problem is. And so Jesus begins to tell him, uh, he lists some of the Ten Commandments. And he lists those to him and he says, this is the standard by which you will be judged. This is, this is the standard by which you will be judged. And the problem of Jesus is this. 
is that Jesus is going to respond here in a way that we may not see coming at us at first. Jesus looks at this guy and he sees something. He sees this guy thinks he's perfect. This guy has fulfilled all the rules in his mind. He believes that he's the answer. And the, the thing that he needs to see more than anything is that he is not the answer. That he has not kept the standard. That the rules are outside of himself. They are not inside of himself. The rules are, are something other than him. And Jesus is drawing this out of him. And today, this is what Jesus wants to communicate to you as well. Many of us have come in this room and said, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. I feel like I have my life together. I feel like I've done enough. You know, I, I like to help people a lot. I talk to people all the time that say, you know what? I help people. I do this. I do that. Man, God's given me stuff. And I, you know, I'm, you know I've, I, I did this. They can remember at, at least one time when they were generous with people. They can remember one situation where they had done this. Most of us believe this. And when you die, that is what most people are going to say about you at your funeral. He was a great guy. Man, he would do anything for anybody. I mean, he, uh, he, was, he was such a nice guy. He loved people. He was all these things. Because we want to believe that this person had the answers, that they were a good person, and that everything was fine with them. But Jesus wants to say something else to you and to me. And he's drawing that out as he lists these commandments. Oh, this one, that one. This one, that one, and Jesus is beckoning him into a conversation. And here's the invitation. And he said, verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. I believe that I have fulfilled the standard. I believe that I have, I have done enough. To get to eternal life. Jesus is waiting for his answer. Jesus is drawing him out. And he's trying to show him. He's drawing him out and he's trying to show him this. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, Wrong, sucker. this. <laughs> That's the original language. Uh, <laughs> you are so backwards. You don't even know how dumb you are. We are all dumber having had listened to you. Right? You remember that movie? That was a long time ago, too. But one person over here, thank you, sir. <laughs> Jesus says, dude, you're so wrong about this. You're so wrong about what, what you're talking. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, how dare you? Oh, yeah? Well, you still lack one thing. Is that what Jesus said? I want you to look at the face of Jesus. And I want you to see him. I want you to look at the face of Jesus, and I want you to see him and how he responds. He says, one thing you still lack. This same story is told in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. 
In this in the same section, Mark adds something else. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus looks at him and loves him. This guy says, yeah, I'm the answer. I have kept all the rules. Yeah, it's based in religion. But in reality, he's saying, I am the judge as to whether I've kept those rules. I am the judge as to the, the reality that I have been righteous. And Jesus says, I love you. He looks at him and he loves him. And he says, hey man, there's just one thing that you lack. There's just one thing. Just one, one issue that stands between you and God. There's just one thing that's wrong. He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What's Jesus doing there? He's helping this guy see something. And that is, for all of your theologizing, for all of your belief that you have it all together, with all of that stuff, I'm going to say something right now that's going to draw out the reality that you are your own God. There's another God in your life, and it's not me, says Jesus. And so he says, okay, if you, if, you, if you want that, then this is what it takes. And it's to do away with the very thing that gives you your identity. The very thing that you're looking at, that you're seeing, that you're, that the, the very thing that you look to to be your identity. Jesus says, Go sell it. Give it away. But I, but I want you to come after me. John Piper says, let it go and have me. This is a man that's in power. He's, he's, a, he's a man that has power and Jesus is telling him, your wealth is your true God. Your wealth is your true God because it's, it's keeping you from me. It's keeping you from having relationship with me. It's keeping you from experiencing me. Jesus is, is saying to him, the way that you can tell that you have no other gods before me, which is also one of the commandments, is in the way that you treat your fellow man. 
Jesus is saying the way that you treat your fellow man shows the reality that you have a God and your God is you. That your, your, your God is actually who you are. Jesus isn't, isn't saying this. You've just oppressed all these people and you should stop oppressing those people. And so therefore, with, with your wealth, you've been taking and, and whatever it is. He, he's, not, he's not saying that. He's saying, listen, I want you to get rid of everything that you have in order to have me. I want you to get rid of everything away so that you can actually have relationship with me. But he says it in such a way and his disposition is in such a way that he's beckoning you and I. He's inviting us into relationship. And he's saying to you, all of us have at least one area where we believe that we are the answer. And his invitation to you is, let it go and have me. Let go of your identity with sex as identity. Let go of your political party. Let go of, and let me tell you why that's important. When I say that, before you walk out, I just, you might want to walk out here in just a second. I'm just going to tell you right now. There's some agreement between Jesus and a liberal mindset. And that in some sense, Jesus is affirming something that the ruler that has wealth needs to give it up. Now, what he's not saying is that government should take it from you. He's saying you should willingly give it up. So in, in some sense, Jesus is looking at his, history and he looks back and in some sense, I'm having a hard time even saying this, right? It's as though Jesus kind of supports the idea of critical race theory. There I said it. Now I just said that and maybe your insides are just going, I cannot believe he just said that. Jesus is saying, let it go and have me. Politics aren't that big of a deal to you. It's not driving your persona. It's not driving your, your, your thoughts on God. What if Jesus is speaking to us and saying, you know what? I don't know that we have really owned the sins of our fathers. I don't know what that looks like. What if Jesus is saying, you know, the rich and powerful, the, especially the Christians, the rich and powerful, instead of talking all day about how wrong government is to take these things, which I personally have a huge problem with that type of government, right? I, many of you know me. You know where I come from. But what if Jesus is saying, government shouldn't be taking it. You should be giving it. Have you looked at Jesus in the face? 
Do you see that he looks at you and he loves you? And he's drawing out all of the ways that you say, I'm the answer. My political party is the answer. My sexuality is the answer. My way of doing life is the answer. What if Jesus is saying, okay, you just lack one thing. It's just one thing. Not a huge deal, but it totally keeps you out of having a relationship with me. But, you know, I don't know if that's a problem or not. It totally keeps you out of actually experiencing the good life. It totally keeps you out of being a reconciler in our world and bringing peace into the social consciousness and into our communities, in our, in our workplaces, and in our schools. It totally keeps you in the battle, in the fight, creating more chaos and more anger and more hatred because those people are wrong. Let me just tell you, Christian people, as a side note here, the only way to begin a conversation with someone who sees things in another, in, in another way is to find, is to lo look at them, love them, and to find in them the things that you go, you know what? I think that's, that's a concept that Jesus teaches. That's, that's an idea that Jesus teaches. It's just, it doesn't happen this way. That's a side note. Jesus is inviting you to willingly lay down your life, your answers, your wealth, your whatever it is. He's inviting you to let go of it and to have him. To stop trying to be an answer. To, to stop trying to fit yourself into some category, at least 200,000 of them, in our world today. Because that, my friends, is what's creating the chaos. It's because there's at least 200,000 people out there that all say, I'm the answer. Jesus says, he is the answer. Which is our next thing here. I forgot two verses, actually. We're not onto that yet. Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, this is what I'm inviting you to. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you into. The verse before that says that the man goes away very sad. If you're sad today and you're saying, all of my political beliefs, the people that I listen to on talk radio, all of my, the, the very center of my life would be taken away. My identity down to its core would be gone. I would, I would be stripped of all things and I can't do that. See, humanity has this innate desire for survival. And it has to have a center of identity. It has to have a sense of, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm doing, and the problem is, is that Satan capitalized on that. And he said to Eve, no, you will be like God, knowing good, good and evil. You can be the answer. And when Jesus, who says, go sell everything, and then you can come follow me, 
it devastates him because his life, his world is in the midst of that. And Jesus acknowledges something. It's so difficult. It is absolutely difficult. The disciples understand this. And he says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Who, who can be sa I mean, the disciples see how this transfers to all of life. The disciples themselves, they're sitting there with Jesus and they're saying, if that's true of the people in power in that sense, then it's true of all of us. It's true of all of us. Like if I have to give up that thing, it's impossible. I can't do it. There's no one who can be saved. Remember what Jesus said. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Jesus is indicating something. The only one who is good is him. Who can be saved? Now, the solution of Jesus. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What does that mean? Again, I want to refer to John Piper. Listen to this sermon, and I paraphrase some of his, his thoughts. These did not come from me. I want to make that clear. This is what I heard him say. You can do what you don't want to do. You can force yourself to do what you don't want to do. You can force yourself to uh, stop drinking, stop looking at porn, stop cheating, stop lying. You can force yourself to give money. You can force yourself to give your life up. But you can force yourself, you can do what you don't want to do. And this is why the disciples said, then who can be saved? Because that's crazy. And Jesus acknowledges this. No one can be saved based on them saying, I'm going to do what I don't want to do. But you cannot want what you don't want. You can control your actions, but your will cannot control your will. You can, you can stop doing some things, and you can kind of control that, but you can't make yourself start liking something. You can't make yourself see Jesus even in the midst of crazy stuff that's going on in our world, like critical theory. You can't make yourself see that because I am so bred towards and raised towards a conservative mindset that I cannot force my will to buy into the, some type of ideology I can, or even any piece of it. You can do what you don't want to do, but you cannot want what you don't want. Your will can control your actions, but your will cannot control your will. You can redirect your actions, but you cannot redirect your will. That's what Jesus is saying. That is impossible. It cannot happen. 
The solution is Jesus. The solution is this. And Peter kind of says this in verse 28. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. How does that show us that Jesus is the answer? If you're going to live for Jesus, let me back up. If you want to see the world put right, I mean, I don't know what it's going to take, but like it's not getting better in here or out there. And as long as Christian people as Matt Chandler says, sprinkle some Jesus on top of, of their life as they are the answer. I am the answer. I'll add a little bit of Jesus to that. See, Jesus agrees with me. As long as that's happening, that won't change. That'll continue to get worse. It'll continue to, to decline. But Jesus is saying this, that the good life is found in giving up yourself. It's giving up the thing that is, that has the ascendancy in your life. It, the good life is found in this, in something that feels absolutely impossible and is on your own because you cannot redirect your will against your will. Your will has to change. Here's why Jesus is the solution. Jesus gave up his family. Jesus gave up his comfort. Jesus gave up luxury. Jesus gave up rest. Jesus gave up wealth. Jesus gave up all of those things for all of the ways that your that you cannot change your will. He gave he gave it up for all of the sins that white Americans and yes, black Americans and American Indians have committed against each other let alone in between races. He gave himself up, not just for them, but he also gave them up to capitalists who don't care about the poor and who, who don't care about people or, or, or just after a buck. He gave himself up for all of the people that cannot give up their own will. Jesus gave up himself for you. Jesus gives his very body. He gives himself so that you could have a transformed life. Because the invitation to trusting in him is not, is not okay, I trust in him and now I've got to change my will. No, it is supernatural. It's a supernatural power that the Holy Spirit of God brings into your life. And it doesn't happen immediately. What it does is it brings about conviction. The Holy Spirit, He brings about conviction in our life. And we see the reality of 
here's all the ways that I have been the answer for my own life. I've not looked to God for the standard. I've not looked to him for that. I see the confusion that that's bringing into our world. It's living in repentance, and it's the Holy Spirit bringing us to that and changing our will. I was talking to someone just recently who says, I can't even explain it. It's like God supernaturally changed. I went from always wanting this and my life being chaotic and all of my financial stuff being a wreck and my personal relationships being a mess. And then I, I prayed and all of a sudden, most of that hasn't changed. I'm still in the midst of a financial wreck. I'm still in the midst of, of, of all of this stuff. And yet somehow I have peace because God's brought me peace. See, Jesus is the answer because he, he dies for you. He is the one who sells all of his possessions and goods and gives them away to the poor because he gave them to you. If you want to be challenged with something conservatives, you need to be challenged with this. And that is that there may be a sentiment of truth in the other side that you haven't considered. And here's what I want to say. We are not called to be church people. We are called to be Jesus people. Have you seen him? Is that song by Meatloaf? I'm sure that was the last thing you thought would come out of my mouth. Right? It says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's a terrible song. Every sermon is supposed to have three points in a poem, and that could be a song as well, and so this is my poem for you. I'm not going to quote it. You say that you love Jesus, but are you not like the rich young man who says, I would do anything for love, Jesus, but I will not do that. Jesus says, that's where your loyalties are. It's in self Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. He sees you. He loves you. He wants you to see that you are not the answer that he is. Can we go to communion? As the ushers come forward, feel free to hop up and grab communion here. times when we, when we walk through communion, we talk about this passage, 
and it talks about how on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and then he, he goes on to talk about it. Our belief that we are the answer is betrayal of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me and just, can we think through repentance? Can we think through an, an invitation? Jesus is inviting you to repent. He looks at you. He sees you. He loves you. Even in the midst of all of, all of the ways that you're wrong, and the only thing left is this, is to acknowledge how wrong you are. To glory in it, to revel in it, because it just means you need the grace of Jesus more. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for all of the ways that you have totally messed it up. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the body. And he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up everything so that we can give up silly things like political beliefs, so that we can give up things that we believe are the core of who we are for your name, for your sake. It's in your name we pray. Amen.